0: Good morning. You have reached Winkler-Burchtall, Mennonite Church, on this first Sunday of 2021. This is January 3rd, and this morning we're going to worship God together, sing together, pray together, and we'll look a little bit at the phrase, Behold, I make all things new, and we're going to explore a little bit what that means. So I invite you to join us and worship with us for the next hour.
1: Thank you for joining us for our first service of 2021. Before we get into the service, I'd just like to highlight a few announcements. And again, um, if you don't have a copy of the bulletin, uh, you can uh, download a copy uh, from our church website. You can also call Susan at the church office and arrange to pick one up there. We have, uh, or want to continue to remember those who are in the hospital. And uh, at the time of recording this service, we have two people in the hospital, one in Boundary, or pardon me, not Boundary Trails, one at Swan Lake Hospital, and one at Health Sciences Center. Our missionaries of the week are Dawn and Epp. And we have a couple of expressions of sympathy that I'd like to read. Um, Mary Clausen passed away on Tuesday, December 22nd, and she was the mother to Art and Helen Clawson. And John Rempel passed away on Thursday, December 24th, and he was the father to Clara and Jake Peters. There are a number of other important announcements in the bulletin, and I'll just ask you to read those on your own. We've just come through the Christmas season where we've celebrated the birth of Jesus once again. And now we're in the first days of a new year. 2020 was a challenging year for many people, but the events of this past year were not a surprise to God. He knew everything that the year would bring. He knew that COVID was on its way and that it would affect just about every one of us in one way or another. He knew that some of us would be struggling with our health. He knew that some of us would lose a loved one in 2020, and we could name other things. For those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, he is our hope, our peace, and our light. In Matthew one twenty-three, we read, The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. God is ever-present. He is always with us. Epiphany is on Wednesday of this week. It's the day on the church calendar when we remember the wise men who were searching for Jesus. They followed the light of a star and traveled thousands of miles to see jesus and after they found him they presented him with gifts and worshiped him with that in mind for an opening scripture i'd like to read from matthew chapter 2 verses 1 to 12 matthew 2 1 to 12 after jesus was born in bethlehem in judea Heavenly Father, we come before you in thankfulness for who you are and in awe of the love and compassion you have shown us by sending your Son Jesus into the world to save us from our sins. He is Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Father, for the hope and peace we can have in our lives because of Jesus and because of what he has done for us. And Lord, as we look into a new year, you alone know what the year will bring. We ask, God, that you would go with us, that you would go before us. And we thank you that you are faithful. Father, we pray for those who are dealing with health concerns and that they would experience your presence and your hand of healing during this time. Be with their families also, we pray. Lord, we pray for your comfort for those who have lost a loved one. We pray this for the families of Mary Clausen and John Rempel, as well as others who have lost loved ones in recent months. Lord, may they know you are Emmanuel, God with us. We pray, Father, for our missionaries, some of whom were not able to be with family this Christmas, We ask your continued guidance and protection over each of them. And, Lord, we pray for Don and Char and their family. And as they spend this year in Canada and on home assignment, we pray that this would be a time of refreshment for them before they return. Father, we pray for Pastor Victor as he brings the message today. And we ask that you would give him the words to say and that you would give us open hearts and ears to hear. God, we invite your presence, and thank you again that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: Good morning, and Happy New Year to you all.
3: Even though Christmas is done, we would still like to sing a few Christmas
2: carols with you. Please join us. A child of hope
4: is born God is thrown above and peace above below justice shall god is throne above Show.
3: Happy New Year, everyone. Although Christmas Day has come and gone for another year, we can still listen to and hear the Christmas story again. This story will never grow old. Let's read The Christmas Star. The Christmas Star. Long ago, the Emperor wanted to know how many people there were in the whole Roman Empire. So he ordered everyone to travel to the places where their families came from so they could be counted. A carpenter named Joseph and his wife Mary lived in Nazareth. They had to travel to the town of Bethlehem in Judea, where Joseph's family came from. Mary was going to have a baby. An angel told Mary and Joseph that this baby would be very special. He would be God's own son, Jesus. God had chosen Mary to be the mother of his one and only child. By the time Mary and Joseph arrived in Bethlehem, the little town was already very crowded with people who had come to be counted. Joseph tried to find a place where he and Mary could sleep, but there wasn't even one tiny room left at the inn. Finally, they found a stable filled with the animals. Mary and Joseph would have to share the stable with cows and donkeys and sheep, but there was plenty of clean hay to sleep on, and the stable was warm and dry. Mary and Joseph were happy to have a place to stay, and the kind, gentle animals didn't mind having them there at all. Mary knew this was going to be a special night. The angel had said, Your baby will be born a holy king, and his kingdom will last forever. During the night, Mary's baby was born. She wrapped him up so he would be warm. Then she laid him in a manger filled with clean hay. The animals knew that something special had happened, but there was no way they could have known how special the tiny new baby really was. That same night, some shepherds were taking care of their sheep in a field near Bethlehem. As they looked up into the night sky, an angel suddenly appeared, and light shone brightly all around. At first, the shepherds were scared, but the angel spoke kindly to them. Don't be afraid, the angel said. I have come to tell you some very happy news. Today the Savior has been born in Bethlehem. You will find him in a stable, lying in a manger. Then the sky was filled with lots of angels, all singing God's praises. After the angels went back to heaven, the shepherds said, Come on, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful baby. The shepherds hurried to Bethlehem and found the stable. When they looked inside, they saw baby Jesus in the manger, just as the angel had said. It's true, they cried, the Son of God is born. How excited they all were when they went back to their sheep. They told everyone about the baby and what the angel had said. Far away in the east, some wise men were watching the night sky when they saw a bright new star. This star means that a new king has been born, they said. We must find him. And worship him. The wise men traveled over mountains and across deserts. They carried beautiful boxes with expensive treasures for the new king. The boxes held gifts of gold and sweet smelling oils called frankincense and myrrh. The wise men followed the bright new star to Bethlehem. Finally, the star stopped right above a house. This must be the place we've been looking for, the wise men said. The star has led us to the child God sent to be the new king. The wise men were right, of course. They had come to the house where Mary, Joseph, and Jesus lived. They went inside and found Mary holding God's son, Jesus. They knelt down and worshipped the holy child. Then, one by one, they opened the beautiful boxes and laid their gifts at the feet of little Jesus. The wise men knew that they had seen the new king God had sent from heaven. How happy they were that they had seen the special star. But not everyone was happy about the birth of Jesus. When Herod, the king of Judea, heard the wise men say a new king was born, he was very angry. He didn't want any other king in his land. Find this child everyone is talking about, he shouted to his soldiers. Don't let him grow up and become king. That night, an angel came to Joseph in his dreams. The angel warned him to take his family far away to Egypt so they would be safe. Joseph woke Mary, and right away they left for Egypt with Jesus. When Herod's soldiers searched Bethlehem, the child Jesus was gone. When it was safe again, Joseph brought his family to the town of Nazareth, where Jesus grew up healthy and strong. We can be thankful that Jesus came to earth as a tiny baby. He brought God's love and forgiveness to the world and to us. And every year, we can remember the bright Christmas star as we celebrate Jesus' birthday. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your great gift of love and forgiveness. Help us to remember you each day in the new year. Help us to live for you. Thank you that you will be with us. Amen.
2: The scripture reading for today's service is found in Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 through 7. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared. And the sea was also gone, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, Write this down, for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, It is finished. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. All who are victorious will inherit all these blessings, and I will be their God, and they will be my children.
0: Well, good morning again. It is so good to be with you again, and I'm glad we can spend this time together. Um, Here we are at the beginning of a new year. 2021 lies before us unscathed, but experience tells us that it probably won't stay that way. It reminds me that God does not want to leave us that way either, nor the rest of creation, for that matter. We, and subsequently all creation, have become soiled, and God's plan is to make all things new. So, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Behold, I make all things new. For several months, I've been looking at how God has been and is at work with that goal in mind. I've been collecting scripture passages and putting them into categories to understand uh, what God is doing, what has already happened, and uh, I think this is going to produce a few sermons that will, that will look at that and also what, looking also into the future to see what God will do and probably even take us into the last days. A voice from the throne in heaven said, Behold, I make all things new. These words are taken from Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, which were just read for us. And they are spoken as John sees a vision of the new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem. They speak of a renewal of all things. The tense of the verb make in Revelation 21.5 is that it is in the present, and the sense of it is that it is active. And what that verse tells us then is that God is now active in making all things new. Verse 1 speaks of the first heaven and the first earth having passed away, making way for a new heaven and a new earth. This is consistent with what Jesus has been teaching and doing since he began his ministry as the Son of Man. In Matthew 4.17, after his testing in the desert, the first thing Jesus said in the beginning of his ministry was this, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What was he talking about? An earthly kingdom? What was meant by kingdom of heaven? All that people knew were the kingdoms of earth, so clearly this was an announcement of something new. What Luke observed at the beginning of Jesus' ministry is that Jesus went about teaching in the synagogues, and when he came to Nazareth, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath and was handed the scroll of Isaiah, and these are the words that he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he said to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These are words of restoration. Jesus came to rebuild, to restore, to renew. So, what is it that God is restoring exactly? What is it that needs to be made new? From the passage in Isaiah that Jesus read, it suggests that God is restoring what he first created. Do you remember what God said at the end of the sixth day of creation? God saw that everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. He said that after he completed his final creation, man. So, if it was all so very good, why didn't it last? Was there a design flaw? And if there was, how could God say that it was very good? Well, Because God is God and because he is the anchor of truth we have to believe that the creation was very good just as God made it. Which means that something apart from God's creative work introduced some kind of corruption to make the very good not good. Well how did that happen? Well God made man in his image. And that means several things. I won't go into detail here, but I'll mention some of them that are important for this discussion. Number one, we as people, we have minds. and With the mind, we can think, we process thoughts, we make plans. Number two, we have a conscience, an innate sense of justice, that there is such a thing as right and wrong, and that somehow we should not be doing the wrong. Number three, we have a will. And with it, we make choices to believe and to act according to our thoughts. Number four, we are eternal. God has always been. And we have a start date. But we will both continue to exist through eternity. And we are relational. Just as God exists in three persons and has always been in community so we are created relational beings. I think the COVID lockdown has really driven that point home. We want to see each other. All that to say, we are created in the image of God. Now, the image of God has a particular temptation. Just like the scholar is tempted to take pride in his exceptional knowledge and understanding, or the person who is gifted at creating wealth tends to trust in his riches, those who are created in the image of God want to be gods. That is our greatest temptation, to usurp the throne of God and rule from it. The first commandment strikes at the heart of it. You shall have no other gods before me. Every time we don't choose God and his ways, we are putting our thinking ahead of God's. And if we persist in that, we eventually take the throne in our own minds and act as though we are God. So how does this relate to Jesus saying, Behold, I make all things new? Well, It needn't have happened if something hadn't crept in to corrupt what was made very good. But I'm sure it came as no surprise to God. It is as a result of what came out of the heart of man that all creation has been subjected to the results of our sin. When Adam sinned, when he rebelled by choosing his way rather than God's way, the relationship with God was broken. In order for God to have what he originally created to be very good, the relational part of that equation had to work. But the relational piece requires a variable. And what is that variable? It is the human will. My capacity to choose God's way or my way. To choose whether I want to be in relationship with God or not. Real relationship is only possible when it is freely chosen. A relationship that is not freely chosen very quickly becomes or feels manipulated. If I was a young man and I wanted to insist that a young lady be my girlfriend, and then I would try to control who she saw and how much time she spent with other people. Would that look to you like a real relationship? Or if I would sweet talk one of my buddies into doing something for me under the threat of exposing one of his dirty little secrets, would you say that we have a good relationship? These are not freely chosen relationships. And relationships that are not freely chosen are oppressive and very quickly become a form of slavery. So if our relational God created us for himself, as we understand from Colossians 1.16, it cannot work unless we choose him too. At least 24 times in the Bible, God speaks of his relationship to Israel in these terms I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is relationship. And real relationship requires love, respect, trust, intimacy, security, commitment, and permanence. In fact, it is a unique relationship because God binds the conscience and the will to that freely chosen relationship with a covenant. He binds himself to it, and if we choose him, we bind ourselves to it. It is like marriage. Before I marry, I am free to choose from nearly half the people on the planet. But after I make my choice, I bind myself to One, in a covenant of marriage. Marriage is the only human relationship that is entered into by covenant. It is the only relationship that resembles God's relationship to his treasured possession, or Christ's relationship to the church. Marriage is a testimony to the faithfulness of God for all the world to see. That is why God hates divorce. It misrepresents him. So what has gone so terribly wrong that Jesus had to say that he was making all things new? Well, remember the variable? The problem started in the Garden of Eden when Adam was given a choice. God required of him to exercise his will to choose to obey the one command he was given. And the command always poses this question. Do I choose God or not? It is the same question God put to Abram when he said, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Hmm. Do I choose God or not? It's the same question Moses put to the children of Israel when he said, Choose life that you and your offspring may live. Or the question that Joshua put to the people of Israel after they had gone into the promised land. He said, Choose this day whom you will serve. Hmm. Do I choose God or not? It is the same question that God raised when he appeared to Solomon after the building of the temple. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. And in that same encounter, God also put that question to Solomon himself. He said, As for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne as a covenant with David, your father. Hmm. Do I choose God or not? And it's the same question that God asked of his people when they were taken into exile by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. God sent Ezekiel to the exiles with this message. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? Do I choose God or not? It is the same question we face every day. Over and over we listen to the lies of the serpent and think that we can be God. I'm reminded of a comic strip written by cartoonist Johnny Hart. He had a weekly comic strip called BC with its caveman characters. He wrote this poem with a different emphasis than that for which I'm using it, but I think you'll appreciate what it says about how man thinks. It seems to me that since the fall, without even thinking it odd, that man has had no trouble at all believing that he can be God. How he would do this I cannot conceive, though he certainly thinks that he can. And yet he cannot bring himself to believe that God can become a man. It's a good poem. Now because we, along with Adam and Eve, have said no to God, we have become corrupt and the world Has suffered the curse. People often ask if there is a God, why is there so much evil in the world? It's precisely because we have chosen to have it. We break the first commandment every time we sin because we cannot resist the temptation to play God and have our own way. By not choosing God, we have chosen evil, and the world has likewise become corrupt. So when we read in Revelation 21.5 that Jesus is making all things new, this is incredibly hopeful. In our Wednesday afternoon Bible studies, we've been sitting under the preaching of Dr. David Jeremiah as he teaches us about the mysteries of heaven In speaking of a new heaven and a new earth, I was happy to discover that Dr. Jeremiah and I are in agreement that the new heaven and the new earth are not entirely new creations, in the sense that the first is completely destroyed and the second created from scratch. Rather, like the sinner, they are redeemed, pulled from the ashes of judgment and purification, In the same way, God never totally wiped out his people. He always reserved a remnant, pulling them out of the ashes of judgment. God does not destroy the sinner, but rather the sinner is reborn, made new. God promised Abraham that he would give his descendants the promised land forever. How would God honor that promise if he completely destroyed the earth. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. This is not possible if God annihilates the first earth. Before entering the Promised Land, God gave this instruction through Moses to Israel. You shall surely destroy all the places where the nations whom you shall dispossess served their gods. On the high mountains and on the hills and under every green tree. You shall tear down their altars and dash in pieces their pillars and burn their Asherim with fire. You shall chop down the carved images of their gods and destroy their name out of that place. Deuteronomy twelve two and 3. God will do to the first earth, by the fire of judgment, what Israel failed to do when they entered the promised land. When God is done judging and purifying the earth, there will be no trace of idolatry or the wickedness of man which took place before the great and terrible day of the Lord. God redeems what he has made, and this is consistent with how he saves people. So what is Jesus referring to when he says he will make all things new? Well, let's start with the first thing Jesus mentioned when he began his ministry, a new kingdom. From our vantage point, we've had 2,000 years of church history to form our thoughts about the kingdom of heaven. Imagine for a moment that you do not have that history, that all you know about kingdoms are the kingdoms of earth, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He taught much about the kingdom of heaven. In fact, there are seven parables in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus began by saying, the kingdom of heaven is like. Yet when we get to the end of Jesus' time on earth, after the resurrection and just before he ascended to heaven, his disciples proved that they had not yet caught on. They said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? The kingdom of heaven, as we have come to understand it, was not understood in that day, it seems. The disciples were still looking for an earthly kingdom. God had made Israel into a nation that became a kingdom, like the kingdoms that were around it. But the kingdom of which Jesus spoke was completely different. It was new. It existed in the hearts and minds of believing people in whom was the Spirit of God. So that's the first. The second, there's a new creation in the believing person. When Jesus was explaining spiritual truth to Nicodemus, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And he added, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is Spirit. Paul wrote, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. And Peter wrote, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. A rebirth is required, brought about by the Holy Spirit and the word of God. A transformation that produces a new creation without destroying the person. The third new thing is a temple, a new temple. God introduced worship at the tabernacle in the wilderness. After he made a covenant with Israel at Mount Sinai, the tabernacle was the focal point of Israel's worship, where God met Moses. While Israel was in the wilderness... The tabernacle was always in the middle of the camp. It was Israel's place of worship throughout their desert wandering, throughout the period of the judges, and throughout the reigns of King Saul, King David, and half the reign of King Solomon. About 540 years altogether. King Solomon replaced the tabernacle with a temple. And it stood... In Jerusalem until its destruction by the Babylonians about 380 years later. The temple was central to Israel's identity, to their understanding of worship, of dealing with sin, of celebration, and meeting before God. Imagine then when at the crucifixion of Jesus, God spoke loudly by tearing the curtain of the temple in two, exposing the Holy of Holies where only the high priest would enter once a year, only after making sacrifice for himself and for the sins of the people. This was only the beginning. Forty years later, that temple was completely destroyed, but just like worship moved from the tabernacle to the temple, it had moved yet again. And where did it move to? Jesus said in John 14:23 If anyone loves me he will keep my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him Luke wrote The God who made the world and everything in it being Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples made by man And Paul said do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. We've talked briefly about a new heaven and a new earth. We have the kingdom of heaven, which at the very least was a new way of thinking about kingdom. We understand that those who believe are a new creation in Christ. And we have just looked at the new temple which exists within the people of God. Each of these requires a profound shift in our thinking about what new is. One more thing that I want uh, To point out today one more new thing is the new covenant. A covenant is still a covenant, even when you make a new one. But what is profoundly different in this new covenant is this. Every provision in the new covenant is made by the one party and not the other. In this covenant, there is only one high priest, there, are the eternal Son of God. And there is only one sacrifice, the Lamb of God. And forever, the sin of man, in always choosing to go his own way, that sin is covered. It is covered with the blood of the Lamb never to be seen again. The wretched are made righteous, the filthy made clean, the foul made pure, and the broken made whole. With that necessary variable, my will, do I choose God or not? If you haven't made that choice before, I would encourage you to make that choice today. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, your undeniable faithfulness to your word and to the new covenant in Jesus' blood and to those who believe in the name of your Son is simply astounding. We are overwhelmed at your goodness toward us in making all things new that have been tainted by our sin. The covenant is new Believing people are new creations, and the temple, the place of worship, is made new. All this you have done for the sake of your holy name and for the salvation of those who believe you. Thank you, Father, for the promise of more new things to come. We look forward to the return of Jesus with great hope and great joy, knowing that what you have spoken will surely come to pass. Hallowed be your name, Amen.
4: Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly the crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home there was found.
0: Now let me close with this benediction and blessing. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Thank you for joining us.